Good evening, church. I hope everybody is doing well. If you want to be turning in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, that's where we'll be taking the majority of our lesson from tonight. As Doug said, my name is Sean Clothier. If you don't know that, don't worry. I don't know your names either, so take that for what it's worth. In July 7th, on July 7th of 1967, the Beatles released a song that had a very unique message, one that resonated with the counterculture of that time. And the name was, the title was, All You Need Is Love. And it was a very simple verse, or a very simple song, very repetitive. Um, I looked at the lyrics earlier today. Love was mentioned, probably mentioned 50 times, it seems like. A lot. And they'd said that they wanted to keep it simple. Because when they initialed the first singing of it publicly, it was um, via satellite and went to multiple countries. And so they said they wanted it to be a simple verse because they wanted a message to be out there that, that even the people that maybe weren't English-speaking countries would understand and, and, and that it would resonate with. I think it's interesting the fact that they stumbled across such a biblical theme, if you will. Their manager, Brian Epstein at the time, was quoted as saying, the nice thing about it is that it cannot be misinterpreted. It is a clear message saying that love is everything. It's hard to argue with, especially in light of Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is being quizzed, basically. He says, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus' response is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love is all you need. Especially when you consider verse 40 says, On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. He says it's all based on love. So when they said, all you need is love, in some way they were right. Now granted, I don't think they understood the biblical concept of love. But what they spoke was truth. Tonight, in 1 John chapter 4, I want to look at how love works on us, how it's manifested in our lives. We've got four points, and then the lesson will be yours. The first one is love is a relationship. 1 John 4, 16 says, We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. That's almost a tongue twister, isn't it? But more than anything, it's a math problem. That's a math problem. I want you to go back. For me, it was was freshman algebra, right? Freshman algebra, my, my freshman year in high school. 
And I want you to think back. You remember that term, the transitive property? All you engineers out there shaking your head. Yeah, transitive property. If A equals B and B equals C, then A must equal C, right? That's kind of what he's talking about here. It's very similar. He says, God is love. If God is love and I love God, then love must abide in me. Right? Remember, up and down is yes, side to side is no. There we go. I got an up and down. We're good to go. All right. So, and, and that's relationship, isn't it? But the question that, that that brings up is, what does it really mean to abide in love? When we look at that term in the Greek, the term has to do with affection or being kind. But what does that mean? If, if my love, does my love exist in a vacuum? I love my wife. Does, does that love just exist in my head? Now, I'm not saying that my head is a vacuum, okay? That's not what I'm saying. So, stop right there. But, when I say I love my wife, does that mean that I just go around thinking good thoughts about her? Am I just thinking good thoughts all day long? I love my wife. I love my wife. I love my wife. And that's the extent of it? It better not be. Otherwise, I'm not going to have my wife very long, am I? If I love my wife and I abide in love, that means I'm expressing my love to her. I tell her, honey, I love you. I say nice things to her. I treat her well. I hold the door for her. I serve her. Abiding in love means that that love manifests itself in our relationship. And it doesn't, it's not just the relationship that I have with my spouse. That extends to everyone, doesn't it? I mean, that extends to the people around me, the people that I work with, the people that I see at the grocery store, my brothers and sisters in Christ. It's extended to the point, or to the, to the actions that I, that, I, that I act, that I commit, the things that I say, the way I treat the people around me. That's what it means to abide in love. Scripturally speaking, Galatians 5.13 says, but through love serve one another. See, that's that manifestation of the love. We serve one another with joy, I might add. That's a whole other lesson though, right? It's not much love if, yeah, I'll do it. And then I do it grumbling to my wife, Right? That's what it means to abide in love. But it starts with that relationship with God. If I don't know God, if I don't have that relationship with God, I'm not going to have a biblical love in my life, in my heart. So, love is a relationship. Two, love removes fear. 1 John four seventeen and 18 says, By this love is perfected with us 
so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because he, because he is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. He says, so we can have confidence in the day of judgment. Confidence is an amazing thing, isn't it? Confidence, whether we have it or not, impacts our lives. It impacts the decisions that we make. Guys, think back, high school maybe, that really good-looking girl in your English class, you wanted to ask her out? No, couldn't do that one. Just didn't have the confidence. Or maybe you did have the confidence and you, walked, you swaggered up there and asked her out. Confidence matters. Have you ever wished you had more confidence? More confidence to, to say something that you wanted to say? More confidence to do something that you had always wanted to do? Confidence impacts our lives. You ever been in an argument? It impacts what you say, doesn't it? If you're confident about the facts, you say things like, I know. If you're not so confident, you say things like, I think. It's like last week, I was in a discussion with Luke Campbell about Oklahoma University, about how bad the football team is going to be once they go into the SEC. And I was telling Luke, I said, Luke, they are going to be terrible. I know they're going to be terrible. Luke's response was, I think they're going to be good. Okay, nobody laughed at that. Not even Luke laughed at that. Wow. Luke didn't say that, by the way. Luke was just as confident that they were going to be good as I am confident they're going to be terrible. So, But it impacts what you say. It impacts how you say it. He says that he wants us to be confident on the day of judgment. He wants us to lead confident lives. Have you, ever, have, you ever, have you ever lived in fear? Have you ever known a moment when you thought, I'm lost? I think we pro- probably all have. I think back to that time when I was thinking about becoming a Christian, when I was thinking about putting Christ on in baptism... I can remember, this was, you know, this was way back in the 80s, and Pete Newell, a kid in class, he, he just, he started talking about how he thought the AIDS epidemic was something to do with rep- revelation. And I didn't think Pete knew anything about revelation, but it started me thinking. And it just started me thinking about being lost and being saved. And... I thought about it, thought about it, thought about it. Finally, one night at work, I used to live at, or work at Gibson's up in Newton, Kansas, at the, the department, whatever, the Walmart, you know, small time, small town Walmart, basically is what it was. And it hit me. It hit me. And I thought, I'm lost. I need to be saved. And I think it was like a Thursday night. And I called my mom and dad up at my break. I said, tonight... After work, I want to get baptized. And back then, there were no seatbelt laws. 
I put my seatbelt on. I was concerned. I was like, if I die between here and the church building, I'm lost. Fear. God doesn't want us to fear. Once we've been baptized, he says, you're walking with me. 1 John 5.13 says, these things I have written to you so that you, will be- you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. He wants us to be confident. He wants us to be confident as we walk with him that we are saved because that causes us to live differently. It causes us to live in a bold way. Paul prayed that he would have boldness. We should have boldness because we know that we are saved because of Christ and because of the love of God. Three, love removes all of my excuses. Have you ever, when you were a kid, did you ever get caught fighting with your sibling? You know, you were just back and forth. Mom yells, what's going on out there? She grabs you. Somebody gets grabbed by the ear. Maybe both of you are grabbed by the ear and hauled in, right? Said, what's going on? What is your immediate answer, your instinctive answer to get out of trouble? He started it, right? You guys, yeah, these are all giggling down here. They know it's true. Throw your brother, throw your sister under the bus. They started it. Because it matters. And on some level, now moms and dads probably don't pay attention. I don't care. I just don't want the noise. They probably don't pay attention. But on some level, it does matter who started it. In John 14, or 4, excuse me, 1 John 4, 19, it says, We love because he first loved us. You see, he started it. He started it. He started loving before we started loving. Romans 5 at verse 6 says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for the righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. He started it. He loved us when we were unlovable. And that's, that's significant, isn't it? Because that's not the way I want to love. That's not the way I want to love someone. The way I want to love someone is I want to find you. I want to meet you. I want to know you and get to know you when you've got it all figured out. When you've got all of those annoying habits that drive me crazy when you've got them all worked out. Then once you're perfect, I want to get to know you then. Is that the way it works? That's not a very good way to love, is it? If that's the way that it worked, none of us would have any relationships, would we? None of us would have any friendships. None of us would be married because nobody's got it all worked out. And God shows us that. He says, I, you haven't got it worked out, but I'm going to love you anyway. 
I'm going to love you anyway. And thank, thank the Lord, literally thank the Lord. That's how he chose to do it. Because if he loved the way we want to love, we'd have never been saved. We'd all still be in our sins. But he started it. And because he started it, what does that do to my excuses? It takes them all away. It takes them all away. That guy that I work with that just drives me nuts. Gotta love him. That lady at the grocery store that has 52 items in the 10-item checkout lane, and I want to just say something so badly. Got to love her anyway. My children, oh, you won't believe how terrible my children are. He's over there. I love you, Noah. You're a good kid. But sometimes, do our kids ever drive us nuts? Yeah. Got to love them anyway. Some people's spouses. My wife is a good woman, and I'm not saying anything bad about her. I'm probably talking about myself when I say that. I'm annoying. I know that. I make a joke out of everything. Ask my wife. It can be annoying at times. Thankfully, God loved us first, and he took away all of our excuses for not loving people that are unlovable. He took them away. That's what love does. And again, I'm so thankful that he started it. Finally, love guides my life. 1 John 4 verse 20 says, If someone says, I love God, and he hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. We got to love our brothers. And I know this is probably a little bit redundant, but, but I, it, it bears repeating. It bears repeating. How many times in the church do we have the expectation that our, our brothers and sisters that are in Christ, well, they should be better than that? Have you ever thought that? Well, they're Christians. They should know better than that. Man, I'm telling you this. Those of us that are in here, we're just as screwed up as everybody else out there. Now, I hope we're moving in the right direction. We're growing. Maybe we're getting past some of that stuff. We've put away some of the things of the world. But you look around, hey, we're getting as much jams as anybody else does. We're just trying to grow closer to him. You know, you've got AA and... and all those other A's, you know what? We're S.A. We're Sinners Anonymous. We're just trying to get it worked out, right? It's 
what it should be. And we just got to love one another. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus speaking, he says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. That's love in action, isn't it? That's love in action. That's doing the things that we should be doing. That's love being manifested to those around us. And there's some pretty crazy things going on there. He's talking about people being in prison. Tell me things don't happen to Christians too. Tell me life doesn't go astray. And the thing that I love about it is... They were oblivious. The people that were doing this were oblivious in some ways. Because what he's saying in verse 37 says, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? They said, when, when did we do this? And what's his response? When he did it for those of mine, that's when you were doing it for me. They were just... It was like they were just going about their lives as Christians, doing what they thought they were supposed to do as Christians. And they just did it. And when, God, or when Jesus said, you're doing it for me, like, what do you mean? You were doing what I asked you to do. And that's the goal, isn't it? That's what we're supposed to be striving for. 1 Timothy 1.5 says, But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. See, the love is we are growing in our love for the Lord and we're desiring to do what He wants us to do and we're growing in our love for the lost and for His church. And because of that, just the natural just the natural activities that occur when love is in our lives is just service, serving. I'm not saying we don't have to push ourselves sometimes. I'm not saying that. But I think when we're going about the business, it's just going to become more and more natural that that's just what we do. We love people and we serve them. That's that love that's growing within us. I mentioned, um, we talked earlier about perfect love drives out fear. If you're concerned about that though, this will kind of, this will kind of relieve you because how many of us, okay, I want someone to, if you, normally when they say hold up hands, they really don't mean it, right? Just keep your hands down. This time, if you believe that you are perfect at loving, raise your hand. That's kind of what I, okay, that one kid right back there raised his hand. I cannot believe that. We're not perfect at love, are we? But listen to what it says. 1 John 4, 12 says, no one, has seen, who, um, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. It's not us being perfect at love. It's the fact that we do love and that love process is completed. 
we love God. If we love God, we should love our brothers and, and those in the world. If we don't love God, it's not perfected in us. Or excuse me, if we don't love them, it's not perfected in us. It's completed, it's perfected when we love God and because of that, we love others. That's the perfect love that drives out fear. I just want to close out that loop. Um, and I think that's also why 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. It covers a multitude of sins. I'll close out with John 13.35. says, By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. All you need is love. The Beatles, I know that they had no idea of how profound what they were saying really was. I mean, I'm sure they thought, yeah, this is really great. This is really great. This is what we need in the world. And, and I'm sure they believed that. But what they didn't understand is it goes far beyond this world into eternity. That's the concept that they were talking about, that they didn't even know. All you need is love. Church, let's start working on our love. Let's start working on loving one another the way Christ loved us when he died on that cross. I'll offer up an invitation. I know I'm going to close out with a prayer here in just a second. But if you are struggling with sin, if you're struggling with something in your life, and you need prayers. I know we've got one elder in here, but find anybody. You, you find me. I'm, I'll help you find somebody that knows what they're talking about and help you out. But find somebody. If you need to put baptism on, or Christ on in baptism, and you know that it's time, don't wait. Don't wait to do it. Let's take care of it now. Um, let's close out with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we come before you. We thank you so much that you love us. Father, all too often I think we take this and don't incorporate it into our thoughts and our actions in our daily lives. We know it, but we don't really let it touch our hearts the way we should. Father, soften our hearts. Let it touch us. Let it change us. Help us to focus daily on what an awesome God you are and what an amazing sacrifice you made on the cross. The fact that you were willing to give up your son that was completely and utterly sinless, that always did what you want, that he, he paid the price for our sins and gave us that opportunity to be with you in heaven. Father, we just... We just want to be better for you. And if we don't want to be better for you the way we should, help us change our hearts so that we do desire that. Father, we love you so much, and we thank you so much for everything you do for us. And it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.